Hello, everybody. This is David from the iFloat Radio podcast. Welcome back. I'm here with Casey St. Ange. She's a local West Porter and an iFloater. And she's also the author of two books. Uh, the first book is Worst Vampire Ever. Yeah, and Jean Jones, Worst Vampire Ever. You can find her. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Jean Jones, Worst Vampire Ever. I actually, da- I was just telling Casey I downloaded it last night to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to read it because I was telling her how I think vampires are super cool. And then I also noticed, Casey, that you uh, co-authored the United Jokes of America. Is yes, that correct? Yes, with my friend Alan Katz, who is also a local uh, from Weston, local writer. He's much more famous children's book writer than I am or ever will be, but we're friends, so he let me pitch in on that one. <laughs> and he's also a floater. Yeah. 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 So that's that's good to know. And and for those folks who don't live in the area, Weston and Westport are like these sister towns. So in many ways they're like one town. They yes. just have different tones to them. Yes, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So I so thanks for being here with us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. For those folks who are just tuning in for the first time, the iFloat Radio Podcast is an opportunity for us to talk to people who come to iFloat. We get a lot of people from all walks of life who come here, and I think it's fascinating to talk to people about their lives. And I always have really awesome conversations with you every time you float. Well, that's one of my favorite parts is after it's over, I feel like I I owe David uh, a copay every time after I leave because I spend so much time just... um, post-float talking to him, and it's much better than therapy for me. And uh, he's always so friendly and welcoming and uh, makes me feel good and happy. And I always have such a great visit with you. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. So how did you first hear about iFloat? I think my husband first heard about it. Um, Gosh, I don't even know. I'm not even sure exactly how it came to us. But then I remember being shocked that it was in Westport and so close to us. And so, uh, yeah, I for the longest time I meant to come. And then I feel like my life got to a point where I was like, I really need to try that. That will that would maybe be good. And uh, so I eventually made an appointment and it was uh, super helpful to me. So I've been coming ever since. Now, why was it shocking? I think it's interesting. You said you, you were shocked it was in Westport. We, always, we often talk about Westport and just like living up here because we both used to live in New York City and now we yes. both live up here. Uh, and why, why is it surprising to you or it's just interesting to examine like a float center here in Westport because a lot of people say that. Yeah, it's just it's such a, such a business-oriented town, such a commercial town, which is funny because it didn't used to be that way. Certainly it was at one time it was this very sort of utopian-seeming artistic colony where many, many artists lived and and worked and and, uh, a lot of commercial artists uh, lived in Westport and commuted into Manhattan to do um, their commercial work. Uh, So, yeah, so I think of Westport as like a place to shop and a place where people generally commute to work to their very, to work at their very important jobs in the city. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of, not a lot of, um, just sort of homegrown independent businesses and, and certainly not a lot of, I, I think of iFloat as being very geared to the artistic community, um, which is probably not necessarily the intent, but that's that's the way that I think, and I think it's it's so good for for us. So yeah, so there's not a lot of resources anywhere really that uh, just a great place like iFloat where you can come and sort of do this unique thing that you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have friends from all around, and I don't know if there are any a lot of places like this in in many places, even big cities. So. There, there aren't actually. We're the largest float center on the East Coast. Wow. And we're a pretty unique place just because we think of ourselves as a boutique float center where we don't rush people. We're not about like just the numbers and getting people in and out or 
giving people the space to also just sit and have tea and chat and really use it as not just a place to slow down, but just to explore creativity, different things. So it's a pretty unique place, actually. And it is interesting that it ended up in Westport and that we ended up in Westport. But what's also interesting is that we have people who are creative people who come here. We do have a lot of business people who come. We have a lot of like engineers and like bankers and people like that and also like moms and and different people who come and uh so it becomes this real access point for people. But we've been, as you know, we were talking about earlier, just experiencing some difficulties with a corporate store below us, um, the Madewell store. And we have some neighbors who live right by because we also live in Westport and they jokingly said that you have to stay here. Nothing could ever happen to you guys because you're the only store that we'd like to go to on Main Street. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny um, when you if you ever come to Westport, uh, it Main Street looks so old fashioned and quaint, and but then when you start to notice, it's it's all of these stores that are great, you know, for for things I guess that you need, but they're all you know super chain stores and you know just how every mall starts to look the same. That's kind of like the situation with Main Street, which is, you know, it's it's kind of sad, but I guess that's I guess that's what people want or what people think they want. So it's a lot of stores that you just see everywhere and that you also get like four catalogs a week in your mailbox for. So, uh, yeah, so it's definitely... And there are a few, you know, mom and pop places, places that have been here for a long time, but I always feel like they're constantly in danger, constantly threatened or feeling like they're on the precipice of closing down. And I have seen places close down uh, in the 11 years that I've lived here. So, uh, so yeah, anytime there's something that's unique and sort of homegrown, it's, it's such a blessing. And yeah, I just, I hope you guys hang in there and everything works out with, with Madewell. Yeah, I think, I think it will. For those people who are just listening in, we've had some some challenges with the the creation of a store below us. We had uh, the Coach handbag store below us for a, a long while, and that was fine. We're on the second floor, and then there was some construction that happened below us. And the new store is called Madewell. It's a J Crew store, and we've we've had some struggles with communicating with them. But what was really cool was last Sunday, people suggested I email the CEO, and I did, uh, Mickey Drexler, and he responded really quickly. And I'm hoping that we have a meeting this Tuesday and I'm hoping that there's going to be some good things that, that come of it and some real uh, actions to help because the situation is that they made some structural changes below and it, it's impacting the quality of people's float experiences because it's taking away from the, the silent component. There's some noise that comes up into the, into the float chambers and so forth. So it's been an interesting process, but I'm hoping that that this will be like one of those great stories of, of a large corporate entity working with a small business owner that's providing a really powerful service to the community. I, I tell people, uh, interestingly, the day that they started the construction, we, we weren't even told about the, that, that they were going to start and the day that they did, and it was 7 a.m., I had two people floating, and one of them was a local minister, and one of them was the the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce here. And uh. I just think it's really interesting. I thought I was reflecting on that recently. How that those are those are just really powerful people here in town. Those that's a, a spiritual leader and a business leader in town. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that recently as I've been reflecting on this whole like two to three month journey with uh, the Madewell J Crew uh, creation of the store, and how. Really, iFloat covers that whole span from the spiritual leadership to the business component and everything in between, and how those two people had to be taken out early from their float sessions that day because I wasn't told and had to take them out because there was all this noise that started happening in the middle of their session. But I really think that that at the same time, the community recently, and I sent an email out to the community a few days ago, they've been really stepping up and spreading the word and starting to rally around the the importance of, of this place and, and being here. And, and I really appreciate that. Uh, it's great to, to see people uh, stepping up. That is great. You know, um, I was saying earlier that I think of iFloat as like a resource for, for um, creative people. But when you think about it, 
any anything that anyone's doing should and hopefully is creative. You know, so whether you are a spiritual leader or the president of the chamber of commerce or a hedge fund manager, you know, you do, you do have to bring some amount of creativity and problem solving to your everyday life. So it's interesting that, that a place that helps so many people deal with their problems is, is sort of faced with this conundrum. I I mean, to me, it seems simple. (laughs) It seems like it's a simple fix, but I, I also understand, um, that when you're dealing with a corporate entity, it's it's not always so easy because you're you know you're talking to various tentacles of it, trying to straighten it out. But uh, yeah, I, I really hope it it is straightened out. Coach was such a perfect store for downstairs because it's silent in that joint. It was really quiet. You don't I don't get know a lot you've of- ever shot at Coach, but I never feel comfortable even speaking in the store yeah. because it's very library like atmosphere to shop for purses. But I guess for jeans, you need some rock and roll bumping yeah there's some bumping and thumping and all <laughs> sorts of stuff going on below yeah. and it's and it's fine we just need to to buffer it but yeah coach was perfect because they were so quiet and you don't get a lot of people walking into a store to buy like a two thousand dollar handbag <laughs> every day so it's not a whole lot of noise going right exactly exactly just a very sedate you know and i feel like most people going in there know what they're going in there for it's a usually a quick transaction not too much to look at not you know not a lot of young employees chatting it up yeah but uh yeah i don't i i will not be shopping at midwell <laughs> well hopefully it'll it'll yeah it'll yeah hopefully it will but um but definitely my kids would probably shop there so we'll wait and see how all of this is handled and then if it goes well they might gain some loyal customers. Yeah, absolutely. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about, you said how floating has been helpful. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How has floating been helpful to you? Can you think of like a recent experience that you had? I know you were traveling uh, recently, but before you were you were out uh, traveling and so forth. Yeah, for me, it's, um, it's interesting. I think people think of... Uh, people that do creative things that follow creative pursuits as being very free spirited and, and, uh, easygoing. And that may be the case for many creative people, but not many that I know, especially when you are, when you're sort of dependent upon creativity for your living, because it's not, it's, it's just different. You know, if if you're a dentist, you go, to where you work and you know that you're going to see patients and they have, you know, things that you've seen before. And, you know, so you just know there's like a certain reliability and I think predictability in that. I don't think many dentists um, wake up and say like, what if I'm just can't do this today? You know, what if, what if like yesterday was the last day that I was good at this and today I'm not good at it anymore. But that seems to be that something that really, really, haunts (laughs) haunts <laughs> haunts people writers i think in particular that's that's uh most of the crowd that i hang out with is uh every writer that i know no matter how good they are and how many successes they've had every writer thinks that the thing that they just wrote is the last thing that they'll ever be able to write whether it's a joke or a book or a movie or whatever everybody just thinks like this is the that one was pretty good that one was okay people liked it but i'm not going to be able to do this again so there's a lot of self talk that goes on because it it even even when you're collaborating with someone you're you're talking to yourself the entire time trying to sort of talk yourself into doing this thing that's kind of scary in a way um putting yourself out there putting your work out there and trying to like take it to a new place that uh that is fresh and interesting to people so there's a lot of self talk going on and that can be a self defeating talk which will prevent you from going forward sometimes even prevent you from being able to get started at all, or you can sort of do this encouraging self-talk or, you know, um, for me, I'm sort of like in between where I feel like I just floating really helps me just maintain what I need to do. I'm always the type of person that's very, very, um, wound up about what's coming. 
uh, you know, so I have a job where I have to do a certain thing every day. Uh, Tell us about your job. Tell us oh, about okay. what you do. Right now, I'm uh, one of the co-executive producers of this show on Bravo called Watch What Happens Live. It's a live talk show um, Sunday through Thursday nights uh, at 11 p.m. on Bravo, hosted by this guy, Andy Cohen, who's really fun and funny, and he's a great guy to work for. Um, so my job is sort of to help this show get on the air live at 11. Every, every almost every, every day. Night. Yeah. So, um, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I really would just be adding up like all of the things that need to get done. And, you know, like it's Sunday and we have to do this today and we have to do it four more days and, you know, just really like always feeling the weight of that. And I feel like, um, which sounds silly because it's a, TV show and it's fun and people drink cocktails on it, you know, but the type of person that I am, I feel the responsibility of like delivering this show to people. Well, it's one of those things. It's like, there has to be a glass for the cocktail. Yeah, exactly. There has to be ice. There has to, everything has to be laid out. Just everything. And you really like when one little thing, you'd think it's just a little thing, but when one little thing like that falls through the cracks, like you do notice it. I'd certainly notice it. And it's, uh, you know, and it, in some ways it is just a TV show, but to me it's important and what I do is important and being, being good at it and doing it well is probably too important to me. So, um, yeah, so that, that's like a thing that I was always sort of being knots about and that's, you know, historically been the case with me. And so floating, I feel like makes me much better at just being like, Today's Sunday and let's, you know, just like a much more one day at a time attitude. Like there's no sense getting worked about, worked up about something or about 10 things that need to be done when right now there's one thing ahead of me that needs to get done. And once that's done, I can worry about thing number two. So it's just like sort of this like, you know, like being able to tease apart the layers of something. And so instead of this like big heavy blanket of anxiety over something that should be fun, I'm just able to have like this thin, you know, layer in front of me saying like, well, I just need to accomplish this one thing and then I can move on to the next thing and that'll be fine. So, and I I think, I think everybody feels like that way from time to time. I just tend to feel that way a lot where um, I allow myself to paralyze myself. Like I need to do 10 things and I don't know what to do first and I don't necessarily know how to prioritize what the, all the things that I'm considering. So what I'm going to do with nothing, you know, which is that's, that's a really defeating feeling and it obviously accomplishes nothing. So, um, so it's it's helpful. Floating, I feel like, is really miraculously helpful with that. Yeah, it's, from when it comes to the creative process, that's so important because to to get paralyzed and get so wound up really gets in the way of creativity. And I've been experiencing that. Well, I suppose we all do it. I'm a small business owner, so there are constantly challenges, just like in putting on a show, there are things that happen and something breaks and there are all these different things that are happening. And recently with what's been going on below, there are all these different pieces. And there have been times when I've just been like, wow, this is, I think this is, this is too much or, or I I get upset. But what some people have told me, despite it all, they look at me and be like, but you look so relaxed about it. (laughs) And I'll say, well, the floating helps because what it does, I find, is it takes me down a few notches, like permanently. I float a lot because because I own the place and I like to float and it's important for me to be floating. But what it does is it starts to create just this overall sense of calmer, not like perfectly calm and comatose or anything like that, but but there's still like like the challenges and so forth. But instead of getting totally caught up and wound up, I'm able to be like, okay, well, this is happening, this is happening, and the world isn't going to end, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of this, kind of like what you said. And and recently, I was joking with somebody who floats here because there are just some things going on with what's going on below. And I remember this song that my mother used to always play because when I was growing up in the Boston area, we were talking about this before. My parents are from Ireland, so my mother used to listen to the Irish Hour, which is this <laughs> really great show that used to play on Saturdays and for the most part I didn't like it because more it was more like the Irish country music but there was this song one day at a time sweet Jesus 
<laughs> played it the other night for somebody who floated here because I was thinking, we were talking, and I said, you, know, you just got to take it one day at a time. It was a really great song, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. And I played it for her, and it's a, it's a good song. And it's, it's really <laughs> helpful to look at it that way. And, uh, or the philosophy, I think, of uh, bit by bit, the turtle wins the race. And the more I float, the more I, I understand that because it's not about the speed. It's about just getting things done. And that's actually what, what helps us get through things. It's not how quick we get things done, but the fact that we actually get things done instead of trying to do like 20 things at 75%, we get one thing done and it's sealed and we move on to the next thing and, and so forth. So. Yeah. And sometimes just doing that one, that one first thing that just gets you, you know, something you can cross off your list that gets you going and then you feel accomplished and, you know, and it seems so simple. It's so funny. Um, when <laughs> I was re- not, not so recently, a while back, I was trying to get started on this new book that I was trying to write and I was really like, you know, just feeling very daunted by it. And this is another thing that I think like floating helps you think sort of more rationally and clearly about things. Like I just, you know, I was thinking like, oh man, I really just, who can write a whole book? And I've written books before. And, you know, again, it's that thing where you're just like, yeah, I did it once before, but I definitely can't do it this time. And then I started thinking, and then I looked. I'm, I love Twitter, and I do it a lot, probably too much. You have a and lot I, of Twitter followers, so you should follow <laughs> Casey. What's your what's your? It's uh, just Twitter at user? Casey C A I S S I E is my first name, oh, and nice. um, yeah, there you go. I, I nabbed you. it, nabbed it early on. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's like something that I enjoy, and I love being on there. And I love talking to people I don't know. I love talking to people I do know. I've of friends who are comedians and writers and performers and stuff and they're they're generally great and what they're up to is interesting so but anyway I was like really like isolating myself and being like you know who can write a book you know it's just it's like the hardest thing even if you know I'm trying to write like a young adult novel or whatever and I'm like oh it's so hard and then I looked at like how many tweets I had done it you know it tells you right on Twitter how many tweets you've done you do a lot and then like I do yeah like I crunched the numbers and I was like okay like say like the average you know conservatively generously the average word is nine characters long that you'd be using and then here's how many words per tweet and then if you extrapolate that into and like basically by the end of my math I'd realized that I had written the equivalent of 10 really fat books on Twitter. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, man. Like, I was like, even if seven of those books were bad, three might have been good, you know? It's one of those reality things, like, wow, what's real is, like, I write and I write a lot, and it's actually really good. There's a reason why you have so many Twitter followers. Oh, I don't know what that reason is. Thanks for your patience, everyone. <laughs> but, uh, but I do love it, and I love talking with people, and I'm like, oh, my God, maybe... I don't know what the solution is, but I do know that like in terms of raw numbers, I've written like 10 books probably in a short span of time. So that's what I always tell people. Like when you think that you can't write, like it's, it's really like you're not sitting down to write a book in one sitting. Although sometimes I do try to do that, (laughs) but uh, you, you can take it more gradually. And it's just like anything, you know, it's like, it's the same as being a weekend warrior or whatever. Like, you know, you're like, I'm going to get in shape and then you go do something crazy and, hurt yourself it needs to come in and float yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so uh there's a lot of benefit to just like thinking of things rationally and being like well let, wait a minute let me look at the facts like i feel like that's that's another thing that that floating does for me uh one of the detriments i think for some people of having an active imagination is that you're constantly imagining things that maybe aren't necessarily true, aren't necessarily so. So I think uh, floating helps me be more rational about, you know, if someone cuts you off in traffic, it's not because they're out to get you. It's because they're trying to get in front of you, you know, just things like that. So It's not a conspiracy. It's not this like automobile conspiracy. <laughs> exactly. Like- exactly. Like that nobody teamed up to like, you know, or I don't know, maybe... I don't know, but yeah, it's a lot of being like, well, wait a minute, let me let me think about like why that person wasn't polite to me. <laughs> Probably more about that person than it is about me. Yeah, it helps me that way too. I, as I explained to a lot of people, it 
it takes people to a brainwave state that's almost slower than emotion. Generally, people eventually in a float will get to a place where emotion is almost not there. And that's a wonderful thing to tap into every now and then because when we do tap into it when floating, we get insights sometimes while we're floating, but sometimes we also get the insights afterwards where it's like, okay, I know that that my emotions aren't everything and sometimes they can be inaccurate. Sometimes I can be thinking like somebody's doing this thing and I'm going to get really emotional. And But when I take that away and I look at it more objectively, I might say, okay, that person doesn't even know me. <laughs> right, exactly. And so clearly if they're cutting me off or doing something else, it's probably about them and not about me. And that helps take the pressure off of ourselves, right? For sure. I mean, even even when someone does know you, like I know that you and I have had really, really personal conversations, which I'm not going to tell you about on this podcast because <laughs> they're personal. But, um, but, you know, just things They that, have to pay for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Or like, yeah, maybe I'll write a book about that. Exactly. You hear yeah. about that. Um, but, you know, just things that have like sort of nagged me throughout my life and uh and even those are things that I find myself addressing like in floating like mm-hmm. there was and I think there was one particular example in my life of something that has just like plain as the nose on my face for my entire life since I've been born you know and I I think that floating led me to a place where I could sort of see that thing for what it was and then also like and when I realized what this thing you know like this thing was that was going on with me like again like just a lifelong really huge elephant in the room that that I wasn't wasn't really acknowledging um you know that it was kind of like devastating and uh and then like yeah like devastating like i felt like i'd been run over by a truck by admitting this thing mm-hmm. like uh and and then so through floating even there there were a couple and really just a couple of sessions where that's like all that i thought about and the first time was really difficult and then the second time i felt almost like i was like sitting sort of beside myself like watching like well how are you handling this and you know and and what about this is about you and what about it is about other people and what can you do about it and what can you absolutely not do anything about you know and the, and there's like a a kind of like grace and beauty and also a relief to realize that like certain things you just are just beyond your control and it, you know just really like trite things that you see like these memes posted <laughs> like people are constantly posting these inspirational quotes on Facebook or yeah, you we see do that. On a, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry everybody once a week just once a week I do it <laughs> Or you see like a bumper sticker and you feel like you, for me, I feel kind of dumb when I realize like, oh my God, that bumper sticker is so true, but sometimes it's so true. And it's very, very true that, you know, that you can only control the way you act in a situation. You can only control your actions and you can't change the way anyone else behaves or, you know, you can try and you can certainly be there for people and be patient with people and wait for them to come around. But when it comes down to it, it has to be someone else's choice, the the way that they are to you or in life or whatever. So to realize like, oh, truly, like you can stop running around in circles trying to make this happen because it's not happening, not because of you anyway. So if it happens, wonderful. But if, you know, but also like you can just stop, like you can let yourself off the hook and stop trying to like fix this thing because it's not possible for you to fix it. And so that's like, that was like, a huge, you know, a huge like leap forward in maturity for me and like a huge relief and, you know, and things in that respect have really gotten better because I'm just like, okay, you know, like I, I understand more and I think that I have like a more rational sort of perspective on, on a few things that were really like weighing very heavily on me. So that's, that's super helpful. Yeah. There were some guys here recently, some young college students who were, who were athletes and I had never explained floating to like this before, but I thought, okay, let me see if I can explain it to them. So they just come out and they were like, you know, what, what really happened in there? Cause it seemed impactful. And I said, well, 
you know, as athletes, maybe you sometimes have massage work done because you're, you know, you have to work on the body. So if somebody is an athlete and they have tension in their body, then the massage therapist might get at a certain area, but they don't get through all of it because it's so tense and it's so tight. And so every time they go back, like the massage therapist is able to work, get deeper and, and, and break up the tension a little bit more and a little bit more to get the energy flowing. And when people go into float, because the attention and the energy that we normally put into processing all these external stimuli, when that gets taken away, then the energy is still there. And so what it does is it goes in and it goes in into the places, there's a flow into the places where there's tension in the mind, where there are frustrations. And it's just gonna, it's just gonna, it's gonna start going in there. So sometimes when people start floating, it's like very relaxing. But eventually it will, the energy will start to, to go into places where there are frustrations. And sometimes it's about stuff that's going on today, but usually a lot of the chronic frustrations that people have are patterns that have existed throughout their life. And they do go back into, into early on because it's essentially patterns in, or programming that got put in place early on. And it's not outside of themselves. And that's oftentimes a really big thing for people is when they spend time in the quiet, when there aren't other people to reflect off of and project onto, it's a really big hit for people to be like, whoa, like, you mean this is me? This is, I'm the one who's generating it. And it can be really devastating. And I always tell people, I was like, that's wonderful. And that's some of the, that's one of the things I always try to help people anchor the experience into is, is if it's ever uncomfortable or there's devastation, it's like, that's really good because that means that it's like a, it's like the massage therapist working through the tension. It's like you're, you're, there's, there's a release, there's an act, you're accessing something. And the devastation is, is usually a release of energy. Um, around something and uh, it, it helps take the pressure off so that we can be more at peace, happier in our relationships and so forth. So it's, it's cool. I mean, it's neat to see, see that that's having that impact for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, what I most strongly identify with what I do with my life is I'm a comedy writer and it's important to me, like I, I value humor and it's important to me to be funny, although I'm not sure I'm being very funny. <laughs> but I, I like to speak through other people in a humorous way. That's that's what I do. I like to write for other people, which I get to do a lot. And um, but there there is like this sort of underlying thing I think with most um, performers or comedy writers that I know, where it's just almost I don't want to say desperate because that sounds desperate. <laughs> But, but, you know, you just have this need to be like, I, I have to be like winning this somehow. And, and, you know, and they always say like, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time, you know, uh, and there, there is like every comedian that I've known and that I've worked for, and I've worked for some really great comedians, really important comedians. And they all just have like this little pit of pain that, you know, that gets, this wonderful thing built around it till it becomes like this amazing pearl. And that's why they're, they're able to be super famous comedians and, and beloved. And, uh, but the weird thing is that I don't know how many of them, uh, become happy as a result of being famous or as a result of getting like what you would think is every dream that they ever had come true. Um, there's, there is just this, this pain underneath. And, and I think that, um, Probably everybody has it to some extent uh, because I just think it's it's pretty impossible, nearly impossible to go through life pain free, especially if you're if you're introspective in any way. But I think in particular, people that that live and work in comedy um, are just very like always sort of vocal and putting it out there, like because that's what you're doing. You're talking about like, well, look at this, look at this sad thing about me. Like, what's funny about it? Or you know, in my case, um, it. I'm put in this weird position where I'm like, look at this sad thing about this person that's paying me. Like, you know, that's, that's a weird position. Whenever I start writing for someone, that's, that's something that's always the same where I'm like, okay, I'm about to make fun of you through you. Like, are you, are you going to give me a raise? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always a weird experience where I'm like, I'm about to do, I'm about to get rough on you. <laughs> like you're going to say this, but it's me saying it. So it's weird. And, and it's funny because I've had like a million, like some people are like, yes, yes, exactly. Do more, like more like that. And then other people are kind of like, wait a minute, this is horrible. Is this really what I'm like? And you're sort of like, well, that's a, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. Are people laughing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
if they're laughing, then well, exactly. The answer. So it's always my dream scenario, but it's always very, very nerve wracking to be like, well, okay, we're going to talk about this, 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 and this about you. But, um, yeah, so, so comedy is like everybody that I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for comedians because I always look at them and I'm like, they're in an, in an enormous amount of pain. I don't know what from, and I always like to try to figure that out. But, uh, for me as a writer and I'm not a performer, I think I was like maybe in way, you know, in way more pain than I was admitting and even that I was aware of because um, I tend to like minimize things and be like, no, I'm totally normal. I mean, like, every, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that I am normal in in that way that everybody is sort of is hurting sometimes. But I think there was just a ton of stuff that I was like, if I don't look, you know, much like I'll do with my laundry, you know, like if I don't look over there at that pile of dirty, skanky laundry, it's it's all fine. It's going to go away. Yeah, but the truth is, like, you know in the corner of your eye that it's there, and you know that you'll be happier once you clean it up and and do what you can about it. So, uh, yeah, so that's been an interesting thing. And and um, my experience floating over time has been, it, it really has changed because, like you said, about, like, breaking through layers of stuff. When I first came to floating, I was like, I'm not sure if this is going to, work for me because I just literally talked to myself the whole time. Like, like I wanted me to shut up, you know, like just everything, like thinking about like things that I needed to do and things that I wanted to write and just everything, thinking of songs that I liked and things that I was mad about and things that, you know, just every single thought that popped into my head, it was like, it was crazy. And I was just like, this is obnoxious. Like, I was trying to get away from that. And then, you know, like, you think that, like, there's very, uh, it's very infrequent that you get to just be in total silence with yourself. Because for me, I tend to, like, if that ever were to occur in real life, which it never would, because I have kids and a husband, and they're certainly never silent either. Um, so, you know, if that should ever happen, I would turn on the TV or I would start to read or because I think that's un- that's an uncomfortable feeling for people. You don't want to like just, or you feel like you shouldn't do that. You'll, like you feel like you're almost stealing maybe to, uh, to just sit in silence and like in peace with your own thoughts. So, um, yeah, so when I first started, it was just like this constant level of chatter. And I was like thinking like, oh, I wanted to, come and get some quiet time and I'm not even giving myself any peace and quiet. Like, what is this? And now, you know, however many months later and however many floats I've done a lot. Um, yeah. Now, none of that, none of that. That's great. Yeah. So that's, there was a guy who came in, he floats and this was a few months ago, but he, he, he told me how he was having some challenges in a relationship and his relationship with his girlfriend. And there was, he said, well, I'm, I'm now seeing a therapist and, He's like, I feel like I've given up. And I was like, I, I don't understand. What do you mean? He's like, well, I'm seeing a therapist, so it must mean that I'm crazy. And I laughed. And, you know, I didn't laugh at him. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, don't you know everybody's a little crazy? And he didn't quite understand. I said, everybody's a work in progress. Everybody has some stuff going on in their mind that aren't, that aren't quite in sync with, with the reality outside of their mind. And everybody is just working on it bit by bit. And working with somebody to understand yourself is, is, is wonderful for you to, to do that. But, but that was, uh, that was really interesting and, and different for him to, to understand, uh, that, that it's really that way. And there was a gentleman here last night who teaches meditation and also works in business. And we were talking about that and I, he gave some quote by a Zen master. It's something along the lines of, I'm perfect and I have a lot of work to do, like on myself. Right, right. <laughs> Can you imagine how sad? I mean, that's the saddest thing when you meet somebody that thinks that they're done, you know, and you're like, oh, really? You're like the furthest from done from <laughs> anyone that I know, you know, and that would be very sad, I think, to not have anywhere to go. And I think that um, for me, I need to remember to separate like whatever journey my life is on from accomplishment because I don't necessarily 
um, they're, it's not the same as, you know, you have things that you want to accomplish, but that's not the measure of your entire life. And, you know, what, uh, what happens day to day with your career or where you're living or the kind of car that you're driving, those, that's not really life. It's just, you know, the trappings of whatever. And also has very little to do with, how good you are or what a hard worker you are or what a good person you are. It, it just has very little to do with that. I mean, I think we see that repeated time and time again yes. that, uh, you know, not only are those things have very little to do with the, like what you're doing with your life and in, in the world that they're, that they're just kind of meaningless and, you know, and I don't think it's wrong to enjoy having things or doing mm-hmm. things. I think that's wonderful. And if you, if you can, then by all means. But I think if you're not enjoying those things at this, at this time in your life, it's, it doesn't mean much. Um, yeah, I think uh, like I just finished reading Steve Jobs biography and he was a really interesting guy because he had a nice house and he drove nice cars, but throughout the book, especially early on, he, he had like this big house, but he didn't like furnish it or anything. All of his energy was directed towards his creativity, creating beautiful products and so forth. And I remember at the end of the book, there was this line where he was driving like his Mercedes SL two-seater or whatever, which is like a really nice car. But I know that that was something he appreciated. He loved beautiful things. He loved beautiful cars. But it wasn't the essence of who he was. He was about making a difference in the world, creating beautiful products. And, and yes, yeah, so he had money and he drove these wonderful cars. And, and I'm like, that's awesome. You know? But it's like sometimes, sometimes yeah, there's this, there's this emphasis on, well, if I just have this thing, then everything's going to be okay. And it's like, well, no, because then you're putting the, the emphasis outside of yourself and it's actually going to have to emanate from within outward and you'll enjoy your Mercedes and, and whatever a lot more if, if you're able to, to be at peace with, with, with who you are and what you, what you do in the world. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of, I, you know, it's funny. You hear a lot of people saying someday I want to do, like I hear, I hear a lot of people ask me a lot of, ed, for advice about like, well, I, I want some advice about writing and, you know, I'm in this career, but I'm thinking about making a change because someday I want to do such and such a thing. And so someday I feel like is, can be such a dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, and, and I certainly, that's something that, uh, that I have been a someday or a lot too, uh, in my life, but really, yeah, someday, like what, what, which day? Exactly. And sometimes I meet, like I, I meet or I talk to, you know, maybe somebody in my family and they're like, someday I want to do such and such a thing. And I'm like, well, you're like 60 something years old. Not that like, you know, that's not a bad thing, but I'm just, you know, your time on the planet is finite and we don't know, you know, how long that is. So like, if you got something you want to do, if you really want to do it, you better, you'd better do it. Yeah. You know, or even like when my kids say like, oh, someday I want to do such and such a thing. I want to make a cartoon or whatever. They, they're both really creative guys too. And uh, I'm like, well, just do it now. You know what I mean? Because if you wait for someday, you might not want to make a cartoon anymore. And then you'll be mad at yourself for not having done it when you wanted to do it. You know, it's just like nobody's ever like, oh, someday I'm going to have a great pizza. <laughs> like, if you want it, you go get it. You know, so I mean. <laughs> one, one of the things that comes up for me as you say that is this notion of struggle. Because I was talking to a mentor of mine out in Los Angeles who I met years ago and we still keep in touch. And, and it was just talking about some things going on with just like what was going on below iFlow and stuff like that. And, and, and I think I used the word struggle and, or it's like, it's like, it's really tough, like dealing with this situation. And he told me this really great story. He has a friend who I think now is actually a writer or maybe a lawyer, but his friend worked in inner city Chicago back in the sixties and they were working in a really tough neighborhood and Martin Luther King came to the school. And he was talking to the teachers and the teachers were just saying, oh, you know, it's really tough. We don't have supplies. We don't have this. And it's like really tough to be educating the kids with like no support from anything. It's just such a struggle. And Martin Luther King said to them, he said, well, you know, he said, uh, yesterday for me, it was a struggle. And today it's a struggle. And tomorrow it will be a struggle. And he said, if it's, if it's not a struggle, then you're doing something wrong. 
And I think that sometimes we, we turn away from struggle. We turn away from the discomfort, uh, which is involved in any kind of creative pursuit, whether it's banking or managing money or writing and so forth. And, and I think that that's one of the, the tricky things to get people to wrap their heads around and to be okay with being in the struggle because you are having a lot of success in your career and so forth. But it's a struggle every day, right? You, you've talked about that in this in this podcast, and and that's the thing. It's about slowing down and and being like, okay, where is the the energy for me? And stepping into it because it is going to be a struggle. It's just that's just how life is, right? Yeah, it's just something you know. We have to go forward and get things done, and and when you when you weigh everything, you're you're glad that you have done whatever. But yeah, if it if it were easy and didn't take any thought or work like what would be the joy in that right not you know not much and and it is nice to turn off sometimes and just not think about anything yeah. but for the most part like i'm going to be thinking and working and putting energy out into the world anyway so it might as well be for something that i'm proud of and that makes people happy or helps people not that you know you don't think of a tv show as helping people i know certainly sometimes i'm like what are you you know <laughs> like i feel like i'm reminded of that sometimes people say well you know thanks for making that show because i really like it and it, it's it's a good thing for me at the end of the day to sit down and that's how i unwind so when you're like oh it does you know it's not um brain surgery certainly <laughs> thank god because <laughs> we're definitely not qualified to um perform brain surgery but uh, that's going to be the next show the next right? thing yeah, yeah. Some, i would watch some, that do you like an accelerated medical <laughs> school for like you know 10 weeks or something. i would watch that for sure i would watch it and uh definitely work on it yeah so you know i mean these things are they're important to people in their own way and uh and it's important to me to do it well and you know so so yeah if it if it was easy I agree. You wouldn't be doing it properly. Like, yeah, you definitely have to have to be sort of hauling a load every day and, and, you know, keeping up and, and trying to work to make everything continue to evolve so that it stays interesting for people or, you know, and, and if that weren't the case, then maybe it's like time to move on, which I've had that experience with other shows too, where either, you know, the show had reached, the point that it was going to reach and somebody didn't want to do it anymore or I've I've left a show because there wasn't anything there for me anymore and I wanted to try something new. So that's something that you constantly have to work, watch out for. But with this show, it's young and, and fun and everybody's still having a great time doing it. And so so that's exciting. And I think if, if just to give you an example of your show, I believe that if people are working together and they're creating something wonderful like a tv show i think that is a really powerful thing because it's it's it represents people working together to create something together and when people are doing that then that's how the world can be a better place because it's like means they're communicating it means that they're looking at things and so forth and that sets an example uh to other people i think yeah it's a really good that show in particular um is a really good example within television of how if you really do work together and uh, and we have such a great team and everybody contributes a ton and works really hard but also really fun and really just care about each other um it's just a great way to make a show because i have worked on other shows where that's not necessarily the vibe and um you know where sometimes you're like wait are you are you working on this show or against it like what's happening and that tends to happen with you know networks and executives where people are like it seems like you're offering a suggestion but really you're just dismantling like a lot of things that other people have done which is you know i don't know i guess i guess people feel like that's a necessary thing or like a necessary mode to work in but it's certainly when you're trying to create something and actually make something um, it's really great to just have uh, an environment where you feel safe to say whatever, to make whatever suggestion, and 
and uh, and have everybody be like, you know, and that doesn't mean that every suggestion goes, but to be in a place where you can just say anything and have somebody be like, well, a lot of what you said is crazy, but here's like the 25% that could work and let's like go forward from there. So that that's a... That's really, really valuable, and I think that's because our show is so small and so spontaneous, and it's live, so that's a really nice thing. Wait, when you said that, I had this vision, too, of the executives, like, what if what if in your building or in lots of buildings there were, like, you know, float chambers, and, like, what do you think it would be like if all those people floated first and then came into the meeting? That would be so, so, so good. That would be good for me, because I, you know... There have been shows that I've worked on where I'm like, I'm biting my tongue so much that I'm bleeding and I'm just really stressed out. And it's supposed to be fun. It's TV, you know. And, and uh, yeah, so that would definitely, I think, work for, for people. I worked, in, um, I worked on the Rosie O'Donnell show for many, many years. And um, we our offices were right next to the NBC gym. So everybody joined the gym and uh, because it was so convenient. And um, I just remember when I was having my orientation, they were showing us like, you know, oh, and here's the treadmill. And then if you ever like are feeling uncomfortable or uh, like if you're, you know, you can just press this emergency alarm. And then they were like, and we know it works because uh, like three or four people have had heart attacks. <laughs> just like oh my god what's happening but when you think about it like I'm sure like you know a bunch of news anchors you know it's like a high stress job and all these executives and I was like I don't think I want to come in here anymore like I don't want to I mean you know not that you can control when you're going to have a heart attack but I definitely don't want to have one in here that's really funny <laughs> you just imagine being like oh yeah and he was like so casual about it yeah we know we know that alarm works because a bunch of people have had a heart attack so so don't, don't stress it don't, don't stress it we're definitely going to come over. We'll definitely know what happened. So I'm just like, oh, man. But that's, you know, it's a huge corporation and people working there in really, really yeah. high-stress jobs. And, you know, so. Well, cool. Well, well thank you so much uh, for for being here. Of and course. for coming on to the podcast and uh, for being here at iFloat and and uh, and thank you to to Donovan. Donovan's here with us. He's from uh, CT Desk Squad, and he has a podcast called The Bigger Picture nice. uh, podcast. And he does a lot of really great shows as well. And he comes down here and floats and helps produce the iFloat Radio podcast. So thank you, Donovan, for for being here. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll see all you iFloat Radio folks at the next podcast. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye.